0: with you all today. It's great to be able to worship again together. It's great to have this new setup. Uh, I really appreciate all the work and effort that people put into this. I especially appreciate your willingness to go along with this. I know it's very difficult when you walk into a brand new setup and you think this is not where I sit, and I, don't, I, I reserve those seats. Thank you for your flexibility as Luke said this morning we are continuing our summer series on the kingdom of God it is just absolutely central to everything who Jesus is absolutely central to everything that he does and so we want to take a little bit of time to focus on what this kingdom is on why it's important on what it's calling for from us and on where it's taking us now we started the series last week by noticing that Jesus begins his ministry by announcing that the kingdom of God has come and that that is good news because that now invites us into this brand new kingdom. But we also notice that the kingdom of darkness continues to push against it. And so we've actually been invited into the middle of a conflict and we are now having to wrestle with suffering in this world. It was a very sobering reality last week. This morning I want to have us focus on something a little more encouraging and that is to look at the nature of the kingdom of God, the nature of what is built into its DNA, uh, and to notice that the kingdom grows, and that it grows dramatically, it grows all on its own. That even though it has these really tiny little beginnings, once it begins, that beginning is enough to guarantee future dramatic growth that goes well beyond anyone's reasonable expectation. Now the growth that you find in the kingdom is analogous to the growth that you find in the physical universe. It's actually an extension of the principle that you find in the physical universe that healthy things grow. I remember s- meditating on this reality a number of years ago. Sally and I bought a fixer-upper. And the yard was just a, an absolute disaster. But it had this one glorious tree in the backyard. It was a sycamore. You could not get your arms around it. Split off into three trunks way up above your head and then towered for another 80 to 100 feet. Gave all kinds of shadow, uh, shade in the backyard. And so we built this play structure for the kids underneath. Did some garden beds there. Extended the patio around to the side and you could sit outside underneath the shade of this tree and just enjoy being outside. And no kidding, two weeks after we finished the patio, this thunderstorm came through the area, <laughs> and this microburst in the middle of our backyard took that tree completely out. That's why I know it's 80 to 100 feet long. It <laughs> took the better part of a week, this crew, to get it out of the yard. And so you look at the barrenness then, and you think, ah, oh. all right, let's start again. And so you go to the nursery. Now, for those of you who have done this, I imagine you have this experience. You go to the nursery, and you pick out a tree, and you stand underneath this tree. Now, they've got it out of the ground, so it's standing up a little taller, and its 12-foot tree is towering over you, and you think, this will be great. And you put it in the backyard, and you think, it's a nothing. What is that little puny thing out there? You stand underneath, and you think, I could count the leaves. There's about 200 of them on here. Danny, our youngest, laid out underneath in the shade. and It was just enough shade for him and he was about half his size at that time. Very disheartening, I went back inside. (laughs) Next year I come out and this tree has grown. It's got more leaves on it and I think, wow, if, if I worked hard I might be able to count them. I wait another year, I come back out and I think I can't count all of those leaves that are on this tree at this point in time. It's bigger. And then I step back and I realize that same process is happening in every bush and every tree in the yard. All of those leaves are sitting out there absorbing sunlight, absorbing energy, turning carbon dioxide and water into glucose so that that sugar then does what? It, It gets into the roots, extends them, builds the trunk, builds branches so that it can grow more leaves and start this whole cycle over again. That's what healthy things do. The only trees and bushes in my yard that do not grow are the ones that are dying. Every healthy plant grows. And Jesus takes this aspect from the world that you can see to explain the nature of the kingdom that you can't. Okay, You have to remember what he's doing. He's bringing the kingdom of God. He's announcing that the kingship of God is here. The reign and rule of God has broken into this world. And you think with some kind of extraordinary message like that there would be a dramatic sign Something that you would be able to see and touch and feel, and instead there's nothing. He makes that pronouncement, and the grass is still green. The breeze blows just like it always blew. The mountains have not split in two and sunk into the sea. The seas have not risen up. The sky is not darkened, and the moon still shines. And life just goes on, exactly like it did before Jesus made his announcement. Life went on just like it does now. People still look like people. They still act like people. They still do the same people things that people have been doing as long as there have been people to do people things. This kingdom of God enters into the world, and you cannot see a visible change. can't see it, can't touch it. And so what does Jesus do? He comes along and he says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. The kingdom of God is like... In fact, he doesn't tell you one story. He says that Mark chapter 4.33 tells us he told many parables lots of stories, trying to give us a sense of the kingdom's size, kingdom's nature, and what's going on in it. And he did that because he knows that we are clueless. His kingdom is the central driving and shaping force in the universe. It is far more influential than any other movement that's ever been. I don't care what movement you want to talk about. Do you want to talk about philosophical movements or political movements or industrial, educational Economic, militaristic, doesn't matter. No other movement has come close to wielding the same amount of power as the kingdom of God, and we don't know the first thing about it. And so Jesus enters into that because he sees that we're ignorant. That means that as you read the parables of the kingdom, you realize you've got a lot to learn about the kingdom, but first you have a lot to learn about Jesus. Listen to him teach and you'll recognize something about his heart. He knows that you and I don't know, and that's not okay with him. So he does something about our not knowing. He steps into that, and he tells parables so that we could know. And you realize in that moment, he wants us to know. He wants to share things with us. He's being relational. He's coming near. He's sharing himself in that moment. He's not simply giving you facts and figures, information about what the kingdom is like. He's giving you a sense of himself. He's relating to you. So when you hear his parables, don't just zero in on the impersonal information. Make sure you see how personal it is. Make sure you see God's heart for you, that he wants you to know what he knows that he doesn't hold information out, that he doesn't keep you in the dark. He's not amused at watching you stumble around. He gives you everything that you need to know. Or don't miss that he does so by bringing it down to our level. He takes things from our ordinary world, things with which we're familiar, in order to give us a chance to grasp what he's trying to say. In other words, he does not demand, come up to my level and maybe I'll share a few things with you. He comes all the way down to ours. And here we are 2,000 years later. I don't think there are any farmers, many farmers, excuse me, among us. And yet he talks in simple enough ways that we all get it. And we're all on board with what he's trying to say. He's trying to tell us, look, the kingdom is so big, I have to tell you many different kinds of stories about it. So as you read the different parables, don't insist that they all mean the same thing. Recognize he's trying to show you this aspect of the kingdom with this parable, and this aspect with this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, so that you get a sense of what's going on here. You can't boil the kingdom down to any one parable. You have to hold all of them together. And you can't look at the parables and say, wow, okay, here's a farmer and here's a farmer. Here's a guy who's sowing seed and here's a guy sowing seed. Here's plants, here's plants... They're not the same thing in each of the different parables. Understand what each parable has to tell you. And as you put them all together, you'll understand the kingdom. For instance, in Mark chapter 4, there are actually three different parables about sowing seeds. We read the the last two, let me go back to the first one because Mark starts this chapter by telling you about the story of the sower and the seeds. about a farmer who planted seed by just throwing it out and it landed on four different kinds of soils. And if you understand what that parable is telling you, it will help you understand the whole rest of chapter 4. It sets the tone for how to interpret the rest of the parables in that chapter. So what is in view in this parable? Well, there's this primary person, the sower, and as you go through the passage, you understand this is Jesus. And what is the sower doing? He's sowing He's sowing the word. You think, okay, that's, I, I'm not sure exactly what that is. That's the message of the kingdom. The sower is coming, and he's broadly proclaiming the message of the kingdom as far and as wide as he possibly can. In that sense, the parable is about the kingdom in general. It's about how the kingdom in general expands, how it goes out into the earth. But then the parable does something, it shifts its focus, moves off of the sower to talk about the soil that the seed falls on, and talks about how the seed grows based on the kind of soil that it's on, or it doesn't grow based on the kind of soil that it's in. Now in that sense, the parable is about each individual who's receiving that message of the kingdom. So then you sort of back up if you're not thinking logically, and you ask, well, what is the parable about? Is it about the the global extension of the kingdom or is it about the personal implications of the kingdom? Is it engaging lots of people all at once or is it about how it engages an individual? Is it about the many or is it about the one? And the longer that you look at that, you realize the answer is yes. It's both. Kingdom has both of these dimensions. It has two horizons that it's trying to work with. It's trying to go out as broadly and widely as possible in society. It's also concerned, however, for each individual within that society. That dual nature of the kingdom, then, helps you understand how to read the next two parables, the two that we did read about. The one where there's this one seed that grows up and it produces a grain full of other seeds, or the second one where the smallest seed can produce the largest plant in the garden. Now, notice in these two parables that we read earlier, Jesus has shifted his focus. He's no longer talking about the soil. That's still important. You have to receive the seed by faith. You have to accept it. You have to let the message of the kingdom root down inside of you like nothing else is rooted down there. That's still important. But Jesus now shifts his focus in order to talk about the seed itself, the thing that is planted down inside And now he wants to unpack the nature of what is planted, not the nature of how it's actually received. And when he starts to do that, he says, here's a couple things to notice. First, the kingdom grows. That's its nature. As healthy plants grow, the kingdom grows. Kingdom starts small. Whether we're talking about how the kingdom affects an individual or how the kingdom breaks into a society and into the larger world, it starts small. And then it gradually increases. And it increases until you end up with something that's out of all proportion to what actually started the plant in the first place. And so in that first parable, that one little seed has produced a head of grain. There's now an abundant harvest. There's a whole lot more seeds than what was originally planted. Or the second parable, the mustard seed. That was the smallest seed that the Israelites would have been familiar with. That now turns into a plant that's about 8 to 12 foot high. Take that and put that in your garden. What will happen? It will dwarf everything else out there. And so the end result of that seed is amazing. But he also talks about the process of how that seed grew into either being abundant or being huge. And you look at it and notice that it's slow. It's quiet. It's quiet almost unnoticeable, imperceptible. Verse 27, the farmer doesn't know how it grows, but it's also steady. It's persistent. It's inevitable. doesn't matter, verse 27, what the uh, sower is doing day or night. This seed is growing. Once that seed is planted, once it's in the ground, nothing stops it from growing. In fact, you can throw up all kinds of obstacles, and when that seed is in the ground, it's going to grow anyway. The most that you're going to do is slow it down as it overcomes those obstacles. Tim Keller tells a story. This is something that he learned from the preacher G. Campbell Morgan, and in Keller's words, the story goes like this. Campbell said he was in Italy, and he was in a graveyard, and he saw that there was a huge marble slab over some man's grave. But an acorn had gotten into the grave, you know, about 600 years ago. And out of that acorn came a shoot. And out of the shoot came a tree. And out of that acorn had come a tree that had grown up so big and so tall that it had split the marble slab in half. Now, common sense will tell you, here's an acorn, here's a slab. Who wins? 1,000 pounds is down on the acorn. Who wins? It's a no-brainer, no contest. That's right. No contest. The acorn will always win. The acorn always wins. Why? Because the acorn is alive. There's something inside of it that grows because it can't do anything other than grow. That's how God made it. That's what they do. And therefore, you can drop a 1,000 pounds of marble on top of it, and the only thing that you'll do is slow it down. That's why Jesus tells stories involving seeds. When you pit organic life against hard stony obstacles, life always wins out because you can't stop it. Now you don't have to go to Italy to discover that. You could come over to our backyard. I told you earlier we were doing a lot of landscaping. There was this shallow depression area where we had a daffodil bed and I dug up all the daffodils, and we put in somewhere between one and two feet of soil to braise the grate up to where everything else is, but I overlooked one daffodil. And you know how I know that I missed it? Because every spring for years, this one solitary daffodil would push up through all of that dirt and create this plant every single year. The seed always wins. Or maybe you've had this experience, for those of you who garden. You look at all the weeds in and among the flowers and you think, I don't really want to get down on my hands and knees and pick them all up. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to dump mulch on top of them. You probably don't do that. The Smiths have tried this. (laughs) What happens when you dump mulch on top of weeds? You slow them down, but that's all. A couple days later there, they all are letting you see themselves again. Now they're even better. growing better. Seeds grow. It's what they do. And that's what Jesus says happens in the kingdom. It's what the kingdom does in you personally. It's what the kingdom does in this world. You think, okay, well is is that growth in terms of size? Or in terms of depth? or, Or in terms of influence? Well, just like we said earlier, the answer is yes. In whatever way you want to think about the kingdom, it starts small, but it grows in ways that you could not have anticipated. I want to show you a video. This is by a couple, Isaac and Heidi Botkin. They've taken one aspect of that growth, how far the message of the gospel has spread geographically around the earth. And they've mapped its extent through history, and then they animated it. Now, as you watch this video, up in the upper left-hand corner, you're going to see a counter running. That's the year that's going through. It starts just a little bit before Jesus uh, died and rose again, and it runs through the year 2015. And while it's counting through the years, pay attention to the white blob on the map because that'll show you how far the gospel has spread at that point in time. You'll see a couple other colors there. They, 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 They... sort of do that for contrast so that you can see some of the other empires and world-dominating kind of movements. But let's watch now the spread of the gospel in a minute and a half. find that amazing the kingdom of heaven started on this earth with one man small ragtag bunch of followers did not look all that impressive and from that kingdom from those tiny very humble beginnings that message has grown to spread across the world why because the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that when planted grows out of all proportion to what was sown. Now remember, we said last week that the kingdom of darkness continues to oppose the kingdom of God. It's very sobering in that video to notice those times where the kingdom shrinks back, where the message, where the extent of where the message has gone shrinks back, where it's had its influence erased. Growth comes with setbacks. But what do you know? You know that in the end, growth wins. That does not mean that everybody gets saved. We will study some parables later on that show that. It doesn't mean that we are going to have a world without suffering. The church must expect persecution until Jesus returns. But it means that we do not need to be scared when the secular world is antagonistic. Our society may get worse. That will not stop the kingdom from growing. It won't stop the kingdom from growing into other people's lives, from reaching out and rescuing them and bringing them in from the darkness. It will not stop the kingdom of God from growing in your life. Once the kingdom is planted in you, in the same way that it will spread across the globe, it also spreads across you, into every corner of your life, into every aspect of who you are, until you hardly recognize yourself. One day you will be pure and holy, just like Christ You're on that road now if the kingdom has been planted in you and if you've received it. It does not matter how small that start is. If Christ has planted the seed, it will grow until one day it towers in you and in the world. But why does it grow? You look in those parables, you realize there's purpose here. Growth is moving the plant towards something. It's not growth for growth's sake. We appreciate the the benefit of having our lives renewed. That's wonderful. But Jesus has something else in view here, something that moves outward. He has in view replication and being beneficial. Okay, let's take the two parables again. In the first one, a single seed produces a plant that then produces many seeds that get harvested. In other words, that one seed replicates itself many times over. It multiplies. And when you hear it that way, you realize This is Genesis language, isn't it? This is creation language. Takes you back to the dawn of creation as God commanded each living thing that he created, be fruitful, multiply. Multiply according to your own kind, after your own kind. He expects that same fruitfulness of his kingdom. We're not talking here about the physical world multiplying physically, we're talking about the spiritual dimension of the world, multiplying spiritually so that what is sown in you grows until what comes out of you are many little seeds that can then be sown elsewhere. Or you can look at it from the angle of the mustard seed. When that seed grows Jesus draws our attention to the plant. How the change in the plant now benefits things apart from the plant itself. This this little tiny round seed now has what? It has branches. It has things that the seed itself did not have. Branches that do what? That provide places for birds to build nests. Where the birds do what? They have a home. They're sheltered. They can live out their God-given purpose of being fruitful and multiplying. So Jesus doesn't say, says that the kingdom doesn't simply cause you to grow so that you can replicate yourself. That is part of what it does. But the kingdom also causes you to grow so that you can be a blessing to the rest of creation, a little bit like you were talking about earlier uh, when you were sharing. This sense that as you mature spiritually, as you become more like Christ, his character causes you to think, to act in ways that are helpful to the people around around you, in ways that provide goodness to them that improve their experience of life. The kingdom does not grow inside of you for your sake alone. It grows inside of you so that you will have an impact on other people for the sake of the kingdom. Sometimes that impact helps them grow spiritually. Sometimes it's just they enjoy the blessing of being loved without you wanting something from them in return so that they can end up with a better life. And as we've been seeing, what's true of you as an individual is also true then of us as a community. See, when you talk about us all together... We are the church. Okay, church is not a building. Church is the people of God. You do not go to church, you go to meet with church. But church is more than just God's people hanging out together, forming a social club, enjoying each other, turning inward. People whose only thought is what's good for its own members. Okay, healthy churches do have fellowship. Please come this Saturday. And please bring your friends. Church is not simply for fellowship. It's also to reach outside. You cannot have a healthy church if it's only focused inwardly. A healthy church is one that is growing. It's maturing. It's reaching outside of itself. It's one that is also replicating, that's benefiting the world around it. It's a church that's reaching out to invite people to know the king. It's also trying to care for people like the king would if he were here. You have to keep in mind, this is a world that's hard to live in. It's a world of darkness. Jesus enters into that darkness, and he brings light, and he brings health. Part of that is by teaching people, here's the kingdom. That was extremely helpful. Part of that is to give people a taste of what that kingdom is actually like. And so Jesus didn't just talk. He healed people. He fed people. He freed them from demonic oppression. He set them free from all of the ways that the world is broken. He gave people a taste so that they understood this is the goodness that I'm talking about that the kingdom brings. And that's the same calling now that we have as church. We've been set free from the curse of sin and death because Jesus brought us into his kingdom. That means then that we want other people to experience that same being set free. And so God's people move out into their communities with words, but also with actions. Words and actions that communicate, this is what the king of the kingdom is like. He's been this good to us, we wanna share that goodness with you. We wanna be the branches that help you create homes that are actually worth living in. Healthy churches look outside of themselves because they share God's heart of seeing his kingdom replicate, itself, but also seeing the kingdom impact the larger world. But they have a crazy kind of way of, of looking outside themselves. They understand the power of seeds. That what God plants in them has the ability to grow into something that nobody was expecting. Healthy churches believe in exponential growth. They've embraced this kingdom mentality that says, you cannot dream too big you cannot imagine a future glory that even comes close to what God has in mind. All of your wildest dreams for yourself, for what Christ is doing in you, they're all way too small. All of your wildest dreams for what Christ is doing among us, they're way too small. Go back to those mustard seeds for a moment, okay? They're, they're these little round things, They're about one to two millimeters long. God has the audacity to come to a pile of them and say to them, one day you are going to be 10 feet tall. You're going to have branches and birds will nest in, your, in those branches. Now, what do you think is going through the minds of those little seeds in that moment? Those little seeds are thinking something like, wow, 10 feet tall. What's a feat? Is that like a centimeter? Am I going to be like 10 times bigger than I am already? Branches, I have no idea what he's talking about. Nest bird, never heard of them. They have no idea what he's talking about. His plans for them are so far beyond them in their little tiny mustard seed world, they don't even understand the vocabulary. It's beyond them to imagine what God has planned. It's probably beyond you to imagine what God has planned. It's beyond me. It's not beyond God. You cannot dream too big for what God has planned. You cannot dream too big in your life. You cannot dream too big for his church. Let's make it personal. Do you struggle right now with anger and impatience? One day you won't. If the seed of the kingdom is planted in you, you can take that to the bank. It's guaranteed. Do you wrestle with fearfulness and insecurity? Not for a whole lot longer. One day you will not give in to laziness. You won't give in to addictions or pornography or being endlessly entertained. Instead, you will grow. You will grow in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control. You will grow and grow and grow until you hardly recognize yourself. You will grow even if you have no idea of what any of those words mean that I just said. You will grow because God will make you grow having planted his kingdom in you. And if it's planted in you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and and all of us together, then this church will grow. We will reach out to our different communities that we live in with the message of the kingdom. And this church will give people a taste of what it's like to be with the king. And it will call people to come to the king, and it will grow. Or to put it in language that you are more familiar with, it will grow to ignite a gospel-spreading movement through multiple local congregations in the greater Philadelphia area in the world, so that individuals, communities, and cultures are renewed in Christ. It's our mission statement. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that for us as Renewal Mainline? Do you believe that for Christ's church in this area? or do you struggle? Do you look at how the church is increasingly being pushed to the margins of our society, out to the edges, out of the centers of power and influence? Do you look at that and think that that movement, that push, then drives how you think about the church? Do you look at how our values, the King's values, are less and less involved in social policies and are more and more publicly ridiculed? Do you look at that and allow that look to drive how you think about the church? you think to yourself, no one likes us. I can't talk to anybody about my faith at work or in my neighborhood. Nobody takes Jesus seriously. People aren't going to church. Churches are dying off. You know, the best that we can hope for is just that they'll ignore us and leave us alone. Do those thoughts drive how you think about church? Or maybe your folks a little more personal. You look at your life and you think, I'm such a mess. Christianity does not seem to work for me. I have way too many issues. They're not getting better. I try and I try and I try, but I keep failing. I'm never going to be a good Christian. The best that I can hope for is to fake it and hope nobody notices. Do those thoughts drive how you think about yourself? If you have thoughts like that, if you're consumed with the obstacles that are out there or the obstacles that are in here, What are you saying? You're saying that the thousand-pound marble slab wins. You've decided it's just too much. You've decided that the acorn of the kingdom does not stand a chance. You've forgotten the gospel. You've looked outward and seen the ugliness that's there. You've looked inward and seen the ugliness that's there. But you've forgotten that kingdom growth does not depend on what you can see. It depends. On what is sown, and it depends on who's doing the sewing. See, if what was sown was a counterfeit faith, a fake faith, some kind of religion that tried to come to you and say, "Here's how you can turn yourself into a good, decent, upright, moral person who's successful." If that's what was sown, there is good reason to believe that cannot stand up against what you see out there and what you see in here. But that's not Christian faith. It has nothing to do with the gospel. The seed that Jesus plants grows. And when it grows, it's unstoppable. Jesus plants joy. Joy takes root and it grows until it pushes out despair. He plants charity that takes root and squeezes out meanness and pettiness and spitefulness. He plants goodness that pushes out wickedness. He plants compassion and concern that work to sweep away injustice. He plants generosity, gets rid of greediness. He plants self-control that destroys addictions of all kinds. He plants hospitality that eliminates self-absorption. It opens up your calendar. It opens up your checking account. That's what the kingdom does that the king plants. What, if, what do you do if you don't believe that or if you struggle to believe that? What do you do if, if you want to believe that you can't dream too big for God, but you struggle? You know that you dream way too small, and you don't know how to stop doing that. What do you do if you say, Bill, I, that sounds great. I can see that I give way too much credit to everything lined up against the kingdom, but how do I believe? How do I do that? See, that's where the issue needs to be, Jesus brings his kingdom, and he says what? Repent and believe. Repent of thinking way too small. Repent of giving God too little credit, and believe. Believe that he wants to do more in you personally, more in us together, than any of us, me included, have yet dared to believe. How do you do that? How do you believe? You have to do some hard work. You remind yourself. You have to think you remind yourself of this kingdom that's already been planted. See, faith is not this blind leap. Faith has reasons, there are reasons to believe. How do you find them? You have to think. And so you go back to the source, you go back to the king, you go back to the one who's sowing the seed of the king, kingdom, and you look at him and you think, wow, he looks really small, comes from a poor background, he wasn't politically or religiously connected to the power centers of Israel. He had no real following. He looks really small. His methods look really small. He called people to be his disciples who were not the movers and shakers of his day. He went around doing what? He went around talking as though that's powerful. He went around helping poor people as though that was going to get some kind of movement going. He looks small, his methods are small. Everything about him challenged Israel. Israel was expecting a Messiah who was mighty and conquering and this was not it. And then look where his plans end up. It looks even smaller than small. He's arrested, stripped, his body's absolutely broken, he's crucified, he dies this long agonizing, shameful death of a criminal. And at this point, when he's in the tomb, a grain of mustard looks bigger because the grain of mustard is alive. If this is all there is to the king, dead in a tomb, then there's no hope for the kingdom, which means there's no hope for you because there's no hope for the king. But then Jesus does something He rises from the dead. He lives out the reality of another parable. Less than one week before his death, he told his disciples in John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then Jesus does what? He died. He's talking about himself. Jesus is that seed that died. He is the seed that was sown alone. But he's no longer alone because he didn't die for himself. He died to take away your sins. He died to give you his righteousness so that you could join him in his kingdom. He's no longer alone. He's the seed that grows and produces a crop of others that are just like him. He's the plant that ends up towering over all the other plants, provides shelter for every single person who comes to him for protection. Look at him. Look at the seed, not just the sower. Look at the seed. Look at this tiny little beginning of the kingdom. And then remember that video. And you realize that this small seed has produced exponential growth across the planet. Your hope is not that you can grow on your own. Your hope is that God has planted himself inside of you, that the Spirit has connected you to himself, that he lives inside of you, and if that's true brothers sisters you will grow you don't have any other choice look at him and believe Lord Jesus we are absolutely dependent on you we are desperate Lord. I will speak for my my brothers and sisters in faith Lord we say to you we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, grow faith inside of us, even if it's as tiny as a little millimeter-long seed. Plant that deep inside of us. Give us receptive hearts that want you. And then, Lord, amaze us at what you will do in us. Let us praise you for all eternity, for the growth of your kingdom in us, for the growth of your kingdom in this world. Lord, let us begin now as we close today. In Jesus' name.